Welcome to Sullivan's Pro Football Kickoff. It's about the Bills and the beer. Now, here's your host, John Murphy. Well, hi there, and welcome to the new installment of Sullivan's Pro Football Kickoff. This is our 23rd podcast overall. My name is John Murphy, the play-by-play voice of the Buffalo Bills. Thanks for tuning in. Our podcast, our, our podcast is simple and fun. We talk about the Bills, and we talk about the beer. My name is John Patrick Murphy. We are producing this podcast on St. Patrick's Day 2021, so happy St. Patrick's Day, everyone. We are sponsored by a product I hope you enjoy this holiday, Sullivan's Brewing Company, the makers of Sullivan's Maltings Irish Red Ale, Sullivan's Irish Gold Ale, and Sullivan's Black Marble Stout. Look for it all over Bill's country, Buffalo, and all over upstate New York, in uh, central New York, in the Albany area, in New York City, Long Island, all over New Jersey, north and south, in Pittsburgh, Columbus, Cleveland, Ohio, and down south in Atlanta, Georgia, and Savannah, Georgia. It's getting bigger and better every day, Sullivan's. Our beer guest this podcast, not really about beer, but Sullivan's is a co-sponsor this year of Buffalo's 11-day power play. It's coming up in November at Riverworks in Buffalo. 40 selected hockey players, including Sullivan's CEO, Michael Mead. They're going to play hockey for 11 days straight, more than 251 hours. It is a nonprofit event, which already has raised more than $5 million in four years. They're going for another million this year, money that goes to cancer and cancer research in Buffalo. It goes to Roswell Park. Camp Good Days, Make-A-Wish, Oshai Children's Hospital. We're going to talk with Mike Lezakowski, the founder of the 11-Day Power Play, about this year's event and Sullivan's Brewing Company role in the Power Play. Looking forward to that. Before that, though, we will talk some football, Bills football. We are right in the middle of NFL free agency, and the Buffalo Bills have been busy. They've signed some players already. Wide receiver Emmanuel Sanders, punter Matt Hawk. What they've really done is re-sign some of their own. I almost didn't think they could do it. They got three important players who were going to hit free agency re-signed under contract before they hit the market. Linebacker Matt Milano, guard John Feliciano, and tackle Darrell Williams. Signed, sealed, and delivered. No free agency for them. They've got them signed to below market, for the most part, below market contracts. Kind of amazing. It really is. They did some maneuvering. And they've let wide receiver John Brown go. He's with the Raiders now. A couple of others, Quentin Jefferson, Lee Smith on the way out. They've restructured contracts, getting players to take pay cuts in some cases, which is amazing. All in all, I think it's further testament to the players and the culture that head coach Sean McDermott and GM Brendan Bean have created here in Buffalo. They've got players who have bought in, who think beyond the money and think beyond the immediate benefit to them. Players who want to win here in Buffalo. Now, money is important to all of them. They're professionals, after all, but it's definitely not the driving force, not the most important factor. That's the culture the Bills talk about. That's the culture some observers laughed about a year or so ago, saying culture doesn't matter. Well, you know what? It does. Culture matters in season and right now out of season, maybe more important out of season when you start to select your team. They won 13 games last year, the Bills did. They came up one win short of going to the Super Bowl. They've certainly got more moves to make. they got to get pass rush help. They probably need a tight end. They may need another running back. They may need a cornerback. But they are bringing back the core, the solid core, of last year's 13-win team. And they're gearing up for another run at it. The championship window is open right now for the Buffalo Bills this season. And it's not going to stay open all day. It's not going to stay open that long. They know it. 
and they're acting like they know it. It's going to be another amazing season, I think. It's been a pretty amazing offseason so far. Got a close observer on board the podcast to talk about it. My friend Sal Capaccio, sideline reporter on the Bills radio network for the last seven years. Beat reporter covering the Bills for their flagship radio station, WGR 550 here in Buffalo. Sal's the man who broke the story last week that Matt Milano had re-signed with the Bills. A big story. We're going to talk with Sal. We'll talk about the Bills, free agency, and the offseason so far with Sal Capaccio. Up next on Sullivan's Pro Football Kickoff. The podcast continues and our special guest is with us, Sal Capaccio. Seven years, the last seven years, a sideline reporter on the Bills Radio Network. He covers the Bills on a daily basis for WGR Radio in the Buffalo area. Sal, thanks very much for coming on. We really appreciate it. Anytime, Murph. It's been a, an incredible seven years. I, I got to tell you real quick. So growing up, you know, going to games, I had season tickets out of, I was taking a Greyhound bus back from Syracuse as a poor college student, yeah. listening to you and Van. And I used to say to myself, you know, someday I want to be covering this team doing this. And now I get to work with you and it's been seven years and it's been the absolute pleasure of my life. Yeah, it's been great. Thank you. And I want to talk to you a little bit about the challenge of being a sideline reporter in a moment, but we need to talk about the bills and the very event. It was a quiet off season since the last game, January 24th, but in the last week, things have exploded. It's been an interesting week for the Bills with all, all the moves they've made, I think, huh? Yeah, no doubt. I think um, what really has struck me is Brandon Bean clearly has a plan that he wants to keep the core intact, but he's going to have to make some moves to be able to do that because, you know, you do have guys, you, you do have a cap crunch, and it seems like it's a one-for-one one move every time. Like, you know, you, you think back seven months ago, no one thought they could keep Tredavious White, Deion Dawkins, and Matt Milano. They get two of them under contract, and no one thought Two weeks ago, they could keep Milano, Daryl Williams, and John Feliciano. They're able to do that. But with that comes some releases, John Brown, uh, you know, Quentin Jefferson, some guys taking pay cuts. And it seems like every time he needs money, he finds a way to do that, which is going to be interesting now that we're up against the league year deadline. You know what impresses me about uh, the last week and really the offseason for the Bills? All the moves you mentioned, it's clear that uh, Brandon Bean has given this thought all year long. I mean, he's not just stumbling around saying, oh, we lost a guy, we're going to pick up a guy. Not that he knows the exact players, but he knows kind of what he wants to do, who he wants to let go, and what he might need to bring in. And that's at play right now, I think. Huh? That's right. And, you know, I know they have to bridge the gap between them and the Chiefs, and that's always a challenge, but why not? I mean, this is a team that won 13 games, went to an AFC title game last year. They're good. They have a good roster. Why not keep most of those guys? I mean, sure. you know – I think there's a romanticism a lot of fans have with having cap space and get rid of this guy, get rid of that guy. But you know what? Those are good players and yeah. cap space doesn't win championships. Good players win championships. The bills want to do that. What I'm super impressed about Murph is, you know, they don't have even guys like next year, other than Josh Allen and Tremaine Edmonds fifth year option, you know, next year it's, they don't have to do much that most of these guys they have are under contract for at least two and usually three or more years. Like this is a run that's going to be sustained here for a while with this group. Yeah, uh, you, and we'll get to some of these moves, but you mentioned other than Josh Allen. It's a pretty big other than, right? And, uh, there's going to be big money. It's going to kind of set the tone for the future of the franchise. Do you think that's a move that can wait until next year, or do you anticipate that'll happen sometime before they kick off this September? So if I had to predict, I think they do what they did with Tredavious White last year. I think they exercise his fifth-year option, which is a no-brainer. So then he's under contract at least for two more years. You know that. You're not losing him or anything like that. But I, I think what happens is 
before the season, they work out an extension with Josh, but most of the money happens either after year four or after year five, where they can really start to spend that and have more of an availability on the cap. They'll probably have to give him a raise. He's only making, you know, um, I think less than a million on a base salary this year. He's got the signing bonus that, you know, pushes the cap up, but I think they'll probably do it some way like that. Now he was on with us on WGR on actually the morning show, Brandon Bean was at the end of January and he was asked point blank. Can you do it this off season? Even with the challenges, he said, yes, he said, we can get Josh done this off season. I think there's a willingness on both sides in a, in a want to, to get this done, but I don't think most of the money will come in now and they'll structure it in a way that they can afford it going forward. Yeah, I think you're right. I think it'll happen before they kick off this year. Mm-hmm. All right, let's take some of these moves. Let's work back in time. And the most recent one, Emmanuel Sanders wide receiver. He is older. He's also very productive, 61 catches last year. I, I'm not quite sure what to make of him and what he might have to offer the Bills. I think there's got to be something there, huh? Yeah, I think a couple of reasons here, Murph. You know, I, w- I was looking at it a lot overnight after it happened and, and into the morning, and it's really a one-for-one for, one for John Brown. Um, John Brown is out. He was supposed to count 7.9 on the cap that you're going to save, basically. It was more than that he was going to count. And Emmanuel Sanders comes in maybe counting up to seven. He's older, but it's a one-for-one. One. And then John Brown said – he didn't see the release coming. So that tells me they never went to him and said, do you want to take a restructure? They basically decided we're moving on. So why would that be? I think there's got to be concern about the injuries to John Brown. Emmanuel Sanders has been productive. He's been healthy for the most part for his career. He's been available. But the other thing, Murph, you know, you know this, that the Bills receivers seem to get pushed around a bit against some press coverage over the last couple of years. And, And Emmanuel Sanders is known as a tough guy. He can win out of the slot. He can play the outside. He gets the ball in his hands. He's tough to bring down. I think that probably played a little bit of a role here. Yeah, you're probably right. Uh, with all that being said, I have to say, I I really appreciate what John Brown did in two years with the Bills. I mean, I think, I mean, Josh Allen is the, the catalyst, but the addition of John Brown and Cole Beasley a couple of years ago really changed uh, the fortunes of the Buffalo offense. I think he was a significant uh, player in that respect. 100%. You know, you think about the guys that Josh had in 2018. He's throwing to Kelvin yeah. Benjamin and Zay Jones, right? Deontay Thompson. I mean, that these are the guys he's throwing to in 2018. And then all of a sudden, you know, they go out, they spend on John Brown, they spend on Cole Beasley. And that's when Josh really started to take off. And of course, Dable and Dorsey and Josh deserve a lot of credit. But I agree with you. I think I think John Brown had a lot to do with it. it really stabilized the wide receiver group. I remember the first day at training camp I ever saw John Brown. And I remember thinking to myself, boy, this guy isn't just a fast guy. He runs every route. He can win at all levels of the field. And he has really good hands. Like to me, he was the full package wide receiver. And the news lately, uh, as of today, I guess, John Brown has a new job. He's with the Raiders now, huh? Yeah, that's a nice deal for him, uh, for them because they're not paying him as much. He's only making like $4 million. He can get up to five. So, you know, that's good for them. Uh, the Raiders, seems like they're making some moves, getting rid of some offensive linemen, bringing in skill guys. And when have you heard this before, Murph? The Raiders want a fast wide receiver on their team, yeah. right? I mean, right. Do it right. Another good guy shipped away. Uh, Lee Smith, tight end, yeah. goes to Atlanta. Uh, again, his – you know, he was a role player for the Bills. He was a, a blocking tight end. He was not a complete player. He was a good guy. And I think a good leader in that locker room. I think a well-respected leader in that locker room. Don't you agree? 100%. I'll give you a, a real quick good story for your listeners. Uh, Lee Smith, a couple of years ago, gets into some sort of like at the end of the play, he's doing some extracurriculars with a guy and they're getting in each other's face. So I go to him in the locker room and I say, what was going on with that guy at the end of that play? 
you look like you were really getting into him. He goes, oh, no. He goes, I was telling him, great hit, great hit. He goes, that guy could be my teammate next week for all I know. We're all <laughs> brothers in this league, right? And I'm like, that's amazing to have that perspective. And you're right, Murphy is a really good guy, really good leader. But, you know, there were some rumblings he might want to retire. Maybe he still does. I don't know. Yeah. They, they, to me, they were always either going to move on from him in one way or another and save over $2 million. For a team to actually trade a draft pick for Lee Smith, boggles my mind yeah but here we are and brandon bean was able to spin him so good for lee and you know he goes back down south he's from tennessee he goes to atlanta so at least he's closer to home does that trade put them well i think they are but are they searching out for agency for a tight end to add like right now or soon what do you make of it so i i think they have to be squarely in the zach Ertz mix my my question is are they willing to give up an asset and pay the $8 million base salary that he's due? If I'm Brandon Bean, I might want to hold off as much as possible and say, I'll wait for you to release him. I mean, the, the Eagles are so tight against the cap. I think they're going to have to release him. But obviously the disadvantage there is if he gets released, he can go to anybody. You know, if the Bills trade for him, they have his rights. So I wouldn't be surprised. I do think the Bills are in the tight end group. I don't know what to make of that report about them being in on Rob Gronkowski. That seems a bit odd to me. Yeah, me uh, too. Maybe, maybe they made a phone call. Maybe Rob Gronkowski made a phone call. And, you know, he wanted to see what the, the market was like. But I do think that given Brandon Bean's quote at the end of the year, very telling to me, Murph, he said, we didn't think our tight ends threatened the defense enough. And then he followed it up with, you want a guy like we just saw in Kansas City. They're hard to come by, Travis Kelsey, sure. but that's what you want. And to me, that that points right to I think they want to upgrade there. What does all this say about Dawson Knox future? I think Dawson Knox is still on this team. You know, it's funny. It's, I'm, I'm glad you asked that because anytime we talk about this, it makes it sound like we're saying Dawson Knox thinks you don't want him. I think Dawson Knox has a really good future on this team. He deserves to be a part of it. He's just not a true top-end tight end right now, number one. Now, maybe he can still get there. He's still developing. But I think the Bills' window is now, and they they don't want to wait anymore and say, you know, hopefully he gets there. He's been a little inconsistent. I like him a lot. I like his skill set. But if you have an, a chance to get a guy like an Ertz, I think you go out and you strike. It's funny. I was on a last week on a radio show in Nashville where Dawson Knox is from, right? He's from the Nashville area. Yeah. And the hosts are asking me about him and are the Bills giving up on him. And I, I, they didn't believe me, I don't think. But I said, no, they're not giving up on him. But they want to, they, they want to win a championship. I think they think they can do better than Dawson Knox. Huh? Yeah, that's right. Um, I agree with you. And again, I, I expect Austin Knox to get plenty of playing time this year. Um, there's been a lot of people, well, how about this guy? How about that guy? You know, Kyle Rudolph, people like that. They, they don't do much for me. Like to me, Kyle right. Rudolph, older version of Dawson Knox, to be quite honest with you, right? If that's the case, just keep Tyler Croft. I think if you're going to do anything at the tight end, it's got to be something that you know you're getting a guy that is clearly the number one guy. And Dawson Knox, you could do a lot worse than a number two as Dawson Knox. Sure. Here's an interesting move. Uh, I guess it was yesterday. Uh, I, this one, uh, I raised my eyebrow. They signed uh, the Dolphins punter, Matt Hawk, to a contract. What do you make of that? I think that's a very interesting move. So I think it's got to be money, right, Murph? I mean, look, Corey Bohorquez had a really good year. But do you want to make Corey Bohorquez a top 10 paid punter? That's what a minimum qualifying offer would be for him, $2.13 million as an RFA tender. Now, it's easy to say, well, then just don't tender him or sign him to something different. Well, maybe he said, I don't want to do that. You know, I mean, maybe he felt he's worth the 2.1 or more valuable on the open market. And he said, no. And at that point, you have to make a decision. Um, looking at some of the metrics, it's interesting. Bohorquez clearly has a stronger leg, but Matt Hawk is very good at directional and, you know, uh, inside the 20 type of punting. And I think the Bills really value that type of punting. And I, look, if you have a good, as good of an offense as the Bills, do you really need a kicker with the booming leg? I mean, right. I think that if you're going to be punting from the 40 or the 50, I think it's more about getting things pinned inside and directional punting. Right. And you know this, you've heard me say during the course of the season, as much as I appreciate Corey Bohorquez's strong leg and his physical ability, 
I think he's erratic. I really do. And I, ever since that botched uh, hold a couple of years ago, when he didn't know what to do with it on an extra point, I've never really trusted him in, in uh, important situations. And as a punter, he'll face a lot of important situations, I think. That's right. And I know there's a lot of talk about, you know, his, his field goal holding and things like right. that. Those have been issues. And maybe those, you know, Sean McDermott cares about every detail as we know. So I, I'm sure things like that did come into play, but um, I just think it, at the end of the day, it came down to he $2.13 million top 10 paid punter in the league. I don't think you're ready to give that to Corey Bohorquez. Right. Hey, all right. So let's go back, I guess, to late last week and the, the re-signing of uh, Milano and Daryl Williams and John Feliciano, you mentioned it. Nobody would have expected it. Uh, they were able to do it, I think, by really working the cap huh? and and really, you know, as you point out, they let some other guys go and, and they even got players to take pay cuts or maybe not ask as much as uh, we thought they would to sign those three, three important players. It's amazing, I think, when you see guys taking pay cuts and wanting to stay in Buffalo, right? I mean, that's yeah. what it comes down to, you know. Now, granted, some of these guys like Mitch Morris, they can earn – money back they're getting more in guaranteed money but they're still taking the overall pay cut the same thing happened with mario addison vernon butler i thought that was interesting they chose jefferson over butler it might have been a either or there i'm not really yeah, sure how that all point, yeah. out, but you're right murph i i think what this really shows though is that brandon bean and sean mcdermott have created an environment that players want to stay here obviously first and foremost they don't need to max out at top dollar but i remember something that Dion dawkins said about that when we asked him when he signed his extension last august Asked him about, you know, hey, did you think that maybe you could wait, go to market, whatever? He said, you know what? He said, we're not selfish people here. of people that figure I just need to max out. And I think the Bills have created an environment where that's it's important to them to have guys who care about playing football and winning than it is more about chasing money. So that's how they were able to fit these guys. Plus, you know what? They're really good at structuring contracts. I mean, you know, you look at Matt Milano's only counting like what five million dollars in the cap this year, basically, or maybe six million, something like that. So, you know, this is a really good job of them to structure contracts this way. Yeah, and you know, again, it's a testament, I think, to uh, I don't know if you agree, but to McDermott and Bean, uh, they've created a different atmosphere here. It's it's different here than much of the NFL. Not all of it. There are teams like this, but it's a little bit different here. The atmosphere and and what players are looking for here in Buffalo, I think. Yeah, and and. You know, I know he wasn't a free agent, but a guy we didn't talk about is Micah Hyde. That's an example of it. Micah Hyde signs an extension and said, he said, you know, he was worried. He didn't want to leave Buffalo. He wanted to stay here. Jordan Poyer, the same thing. But Micah Hyde said, I want all free agents to know to come here. This is not the old Buffalo. This is a new destination. If you don't want to be here, that's fine. But I'm telling you, this is the place you want to be. So, so Sal, we get uh, Emmanuel Sanders, we get Matt Hawk, and, and maybe a tight end, maybe other players coming. Uh, but do you think, as free agency begins, are the Bills mostly finished in free agency this year as far as big, splashy, big uh, big contracts handed out? I still think that there might be room for a tight end or an edge rusher if Brandon Bean can find his way there. Now, here's the thing, Murph. I don't know if it's going to come via free agency or maybe he finds a way to make a deal. I mean, we're just past the one year anniversary of the Stefan Diggs deal, right? He found a guy that said, Hey, you know what? This is a situation where I can strike and I can do this, but they don't have a lot of money. That's the thing. So they're going to have to make some moves, but I wouldn't be surprised. I think, I think tight end and edge rusher would be the, the two areas, the two positions that I could see them actually spending money. Um, otherwise you're right. It's probably just going to be lower end guys, guys that they can get on the cheap, the second wave, you know, as we sit here at the league year, there's going to be a lot of money shed around the league. And some of these guys will be looking for jobs and say, I got to take something at lower price because a lot of the big high price jobs have been taken up and teams don't have as much money anymore. You know, you mentioned pass rusher, which I believe is, is the number one need they have. And yet if, if they wait to the draft, which they may have to, 
They're not likely to get a at, at picking 30th overall. They're not likely to get a guy who makes an impact in his rookie year, right? I mean, we saw how, you know, Epinesa kind of had to remake his body. He wasn't exactly a strict pass rusher, but he wasn't quite ready to contribute this year. And a guy picked late in the first round might, might be in the same boat, I would think, huh? Yeah, 100%. I went back and I looked at actually some of the top pass rushers uh, in the NFL. In their rookie years, they were just average guys. Maybe just yeah. they, maybe they, hey, you know what? This guy's going to be a nice rookie. TJ Watt had like seven sacks, seven and a half sacks his rookie year. That was a nice rookie year for a guy like TJ Watt. But these guys don't become who they are at that position until a few years in the league. And it's also a position you can play a lot longer. I think that speaks to that, which is you really have to kind of – I think there's a craft and art to playing that position. Isn't there like you learn yeah. about it. Look at Jerry Hughes, look at Mario Addison, look at Chandler Jones, guys that, you know, J, uh, JJ Watt, these guys, they might come in and have a couple of good years, but really it takes a while. So I think the window is now they want to strike. They know they see what the bucks did against the chiefs, the team they're trying to chase. They have to get these guys in to be, you know, good front four, get to the quarterback. So I agree with you. I don't think that's a spot where you find an edge rusher that comes in, make an, make an impact. So we're 15, 16 minutes into this interview, and neither one of us has mentioned the the need for a running back, <laughs> which was, you know, the city was on fire a month ago. They need a running back. They need a running back. They probably do need to add someone, but, and I'm not devaluing the running back position, but I don't think you, you'd use a premium free agent spot or a, a draft pick on running backs now in the NFL. I, I don't think they need someone who has the, the letters RB next to their name. I do think they need a playmaker on offense though. And, and if that's a running back, that's fine. And you know what, Murph, I'm okay with number 30. I mean, to me, you know, the chiefs drafted Clyde Edwards, Alaire in the first round after winning a super bowl to add to that incredible offense. And if that's the kind of guy you can get at 30 to add speed and playmaking, the bills actually, you know, make maybe there are in a better position than most teams that have a luxury type of pick, but you're right. Usually I'm, I'm against first round running backs, but if, as long as it's a playmaker, someone you can put the ball in the hands, they need some explosiveness out of the backfield. However, that is, we know Devin Singletary and Zach Moss aren't those guys, but the problem is I like those guys and I love the, the financial structure. So don't sure. go spend on one. If you're going to do it, maybe make it early, maybe even second round. Um, I, I think, not that you asked, but I think corner could be a spot you could look at the end yeah. of the first round that could make that type of impact that I'd be much more for. But I do think you need a little more playmaking ability on offense. Or with Sal Capaccio, the uh, uh, beat reporter covering the Bills for WGR Radio in Buffalo, seven years as a Bills sideline reporter. Sal, so I want to ask you about that. You, you've learned a lot, obviously, being the sideline reporter. And I don't think uh, listeners have a full appreciation of how difficult that job is. You essentially, anytime we talk to you, have – no more than 10 seconds to make your point. That's hard to do on a regular basis, isn't it? I, I think I'm the perfect fit for the role because I talk fast. Normally. <laughs> I, I am normally a talk faster, talk, uh, fast talker, as people know. Um, but, you know, you're right. And I'll tell you, the, the, the best part about it, it's, this is true, and I'm not saying because I'm on with you. Like, I, there's never once, never, in seven years, I will promise you, there's never once been a time where I'll say to the producer, Greg Harvey, I have something, and he says to you, Sal has something, and you say, no, I'm not throwing it down. So, you know, I, I feel good that if I have something, it's valuable, and you appreciate that, and you throw it down to me and allow me to do that. But you're right. What it is is you have to be, you know, cognizant of the time you have. But, you know, you, you watch the play and you watch it develop. And I have to be cognizant of, okay, when's the play going to start? I don't want to step on Murph. He needs time to reset the play. So you got to be able to balance all of those things. But you know what? We have such a great crew, as you know, with Greg Harvey and Todd Brody, um, that they give me the the ability to know what I need to say before I go on. And, hey, this is when we're going to do this. This is when we're going to do that. And I'm very prepared in that respect. I got to tell you, there's a certain amount of jealousy I have because I'm up there pretty far away sometimes doing play-by-play. Play, and there are times when I think, 
man, I wish I could hear what that sounded like that hit or hear what's being yelled across the field or, uh, you know, just kind of get a, you get a much better feel of the game when you're down as close as you typically are. Right. Especially last year. Now, of course, I'd rather have fans in the stands, but Murph, I mean, like it was like going to a uh, really big high school games last year in that cavernous stadium where you could just hear people yelling. I remember the opener going, man, I'm, I'm hearing the coaches yell what's coming <laughs> here in the audibles here. It's incredible. And I couldn't hear the players talking to each other. I could hear voices, but you can't hear what they're saying. It was pretty incredible. Yeah. That's amazing. And then, you know, that was not being on the field. I was in the moat basically and able to move right. around, but being on the field too. I mean, it's just something special and I'm a football guy. I've played, I've coached. I, I need that. I need that. I need to be down there. It gets my energy and blood to where I need it for competition purposes and things like that. And of course, crazy things can happen. I was right in the middle of the fight a couple of years ago between the Jags yeah. and the Bills. That was amazing. I mean, I like Leonard Fournette and Shaq Lawson basically were punching me into the wall. It seemed like <laughs> I had to get out of there. So you get to be involved in a lot of different things. Hey, so before we leave, I want to mention a thing you're doing on, uh, uh, on WGR's website, uh, you, you've got a, a March Madness type poll on the Bills play of the year, the 2020 season. You give 16 uh, choices. Come on, can there be anything besides Taron Johnson's 101 yard interception return? That was the play of, of the century for the Bills. Probably the play of my lifetime, to be quite honest yeah. with you, right? I mean, um, I think it's up there. People have asked me, I've done interviews around the country. They said, is that like the play, one of the greatest plays in franchise history. I said, absolutely. It's that it's Carlton Bailey, his pick six. And I think probably Keith Lincoln, who I wasn't alive for yet. Right. The, the hit hurt around the world, but you know, Murph, that's, what's fun about doing this, which is it's the content and finding the other 15 plays and to talk right. about everything. Right. And sure. I think that's going to win. It's the betting line favorite, but you know what? You CMB beach Virginia a couple of years ago as a 16th, but you never know. <laughs> You know what I like about, about the Taron Johnson play and the significance of that play? No less than Josh Allen at the time that night mentioned that's a franchise-defining play. How about right. that for a th three-year veteran to recognize what an important play that was in franchise history? And, you know, in this bracket, um, you have Taron Johnson meeting Taron Johnson because it's yep. one against eight, and, and they both won yesterday. He had another one against the Pittsburgh Steelers. I mean, those are the kinds of plays that turn the season. Those are the kinds of plays that define the season. And then looking big picture, when you talk about the moment, the moment, and Josh Allen's right, you know, they're in the playoffs. That gets them to the AFC Championship game. And like I said, Carlton Bailey gets them to the Super Bowl. That might be a little bigger because of that, but it's right up there. I mean, how big can you get for a play of that magnitude? The Ravens were about to tie the game. And, yeah. You know, that, that, that gets the Bills into the AFC Championship game. It was an amazing play. Hope we have more of them this year coming up. Sal, thanks very much for this. Love working with you, and thanks for doing this today. We appreciate it. Anytime, buddy. It's always my pleasure. You're listening to Sullivan's Pro Football Kickoff with your host, John Murphy. It's coming back this year, the 11-day power play, Buffalo's annual amateur hockey event to raise cancer. They call it Buffalo Fights Cancer One Shift at a Time. And on the line with us now is the co-founder and board president of the 11-day power play, Mike Lesikowski. Mike, thank you very much for coming on with us. We appreciate it. Thank you, Murph. Thanks for having me. We had an interest in this, uh, more of an interest this year because Sullivan's is involved. Uh, Sullivan's Brewing Company is an overtime sponsor. Tell me about that connection and what that means. Yeah, that's great. So I, I met Michael through some mutual friends this past year, and we put on an application for, uh, you know, to play in the, the world record hockey game. And through that process, I met Michael. It turns out we know a bunch of, uh, of the same people. And he, he knew some of the original guys, and he kind of cheered us on. And uh, immediately he wanted to do it. He's got some personal connections to cancer for, uh, for his reasons of doing it. And um, 
Amy and I, my wife Amy and I, got to, to know Michael, and it turns out that not only did he want to play, he wanted to have Sullivan's as one of the major sponsors. So Sullivan's is one of the major sponsors of the event this year, and we're very we're very thankful for that. That's great. Michael Michael Mead is the CEO of Sullivan's Brewing, and uh, we were talking just before we began this interview. He is in his fifties. Is that the is that the correct age to play in the eleven day? Part? I mean, to play hockey yeah. eleven days straight. Can a fifty year old do that? Yeah, absolutely. And the reason being, Murph, is if you talk to any of the guys that did it before or the guys from Canada that have done it before, it's not about age. I mean, it is about age and fitness, but it's more about the drive to do what you're doing. Everybody involved in our event has very personal reasons for doing it. So, you know, it's not going to be an NHL level play, let's face it. Um, it, But it'll be it'll be growing. It'll be difficult. But uh, the folks that have a, a personal reason for doing it, a very, you know, they're driven to do it because of a loved one went through cancer or died of cancer. That's really the, that's really the driving force. And that's why people that are 50 last, last time there was a 60 some year old um, and it runs the gamut twenties to twenties to 60 this year. So um, average age is in the forties. It's really, that's really what it's about more than, you know, just being young and, and fit. Mike Lesikowski is co-founder of the 11 day power play going into their fifth year this year, fifth consecutive year. For those who haven't heard of it, Mike, tell us what's involved in the 11 day power play and, and what, what goes on those sure. 11 days. So we started this event back in 2017. It was a, the world's longest hockey game at the time. It was just over 251 straight hours, two teams of 20 players played continuously for that. And we raised uh, at the time it was uh, Roswell park was our, was our beneficiary. And we set a goal of a million dollars and we raised about $1.2 million for Roswell that very first year, right out of the box. It was amazing. It was very rewarding. And it was just a, a really amazing experience all the way around. And the community, as you know, Buffalo is an amazing place. We, we, we were embraced by the community. We raised tons of money for Roswell. And after that, as I told you right before we got on, it was really supposed to be a one-time thing. We thought we were going to raise a bunch of money and go on our way. And, it, you know, it was like, how could we not do it again or do something again? Uh, after that, because it was just, it, you know, it became it became part of the Buffalo fabric really quickly. So we switched it to what we call a community shift. The following year, we had about 1,500 players. And instead of 40, 40 knuckleheads playing, we had uh, about 1,500 players playing in four-hour shifts. And everybody raised money. Um, and we raised $1.3 million. Um, so that continued on another year. We had another community shift. It, it was about uh, 1,800 players. And we raised... million and it kept going last year. We were, we had 2,600 registered players, which would have been amazing. We probably would have gotten to $2 million. Uh, As we all know what happened last year, the pandemic hit. And I'm very proud to say that my, um, my wife, Amy, who runs this whole thing uh, found a way to make what what we call the big save. And instead of having our community shift, we did it at Riverworks, which is an outdoor venue. We played street hockey instead of ice hockey. And we limited to 50 players and we had to work with the Department of Health and Erie County and blah, blah, blah. And uh, at the end of the day, we did it every, all, everything within the rules and we raised $1.1 million during a pandemic. And uh, that money went to Roswell, Oshai Children's Hospital, Make-A-Wish and Camp Good Days. So um, here we are back, back to our roots to the world record game at Riverworks in November, 40 players playing for hopefully 252 straight hours. Um, the original beneficiary you said was Roswell and you've added, uh, who are the beneficiaries this year, Mike? Roswell is still our major beneficiary. And we've added since the, from the second year on, we've added make a wish Western New York and camp good days. 
And last year we added Oshai's, Oshai Children's Hospital. So there's those four with Roswell still being the primary beneficiary and the majority of the money going to cancer research and uh, wellness programs at Roswell. Mike, as far as raising the money, you, you, you depend on the frozen 40, your 40 players to, to get donations, right? You want people right. to support them. Tell me how that right. works, please. Each player, um, each player, basically, you know, they have their own fundraising platform page. They, we, we set them up. And when we went through this process of interviewing, we, we asked each of them to uh, can make a commitment to raise at least $15,000. And each of them have done that. Um, some of them have raised more than 20000 already. Michael Mead included. Thank you, Michael. Um, so as long as each player does their part, we'll sell some corporate sponsorships. We'll sell some T-shirts and, um, you know, raise some money along the way, hopefully to get us to our, over our million-dollar goal. But each player uh, has their own fundraising platform. They do it through social media. They do it through email. We made them uh, hockey cards. So whatever they do, they have fundraisers. They have beer blasts. They have meat raffles. Everything you can think of, these guys are doing. And girls, by the way, there's two females playing this year. Um, they're going to do really cool fundraising. And, and it's, it's great now that um, restrictions are being loosened up a bit because we can do things like in-person fundraisers. And we do, we, do, we do this for very serious reasons, but we also have a lot of fun along the way. And Mike, that fundraising is underway now, right? People can go on the website. Tell, tell me about that. Absolutely. So if you have a player or you want to make a general donation, our, our website's a great place to start, 11daypowerplay.com. Each of our players is on there. You can search for a player. Uh, and through social, through Twitter and Facebook, we have every day we put out, uh, we've got really great uh, partners in Uplifter Video and they put out player profiles. And every day uh, another player goes out. So Dave Travers, for instance, who you know yep. very well. My brother. Um, yeah. yeah, your brother-in-law is a great guy, original 40. Um, you know, his profile goes out and that goes on all our social and you can donate, donate right to him through there. And each player does that and they can share that with all their friends and family and business network. So um, my wife, Amy, I, I have to give her lots of props because she runs the organization. I get to do interviews and play hockey and she does all the work. <laughs> <laughs> you do the easy part, I guess. Yeah, hey, I was looking at the website. You, you're looking for donors, you're looking for sponsors and you're looking for referees still, right? You have enough players, but you need referees, huh? Yeah. You know, it's funny with... Uh, Guinness rules, you have to follow an NHL game. So during this entire 11 days, we have to have four officials on the ice at all times. Oh. Um, we've gotten tremendous response already. And as of right now, we're just about to the point of um, enough refs. We're going to we're gonna still accept applications because that's a lot, you know, four times uh, 252, it's, you know, a couple hundred shifts. So we're, we are accepting. And then soon we haven't put it out yet, but volunteers doing all kinds of things to help uh, run the event, whether it's selling merchandise or managing the bench, or, you know, there's various things to help around the venue. We, we use over 300 volunteers every year. So, uh, that'll, that'll come out soon too. And it's a really, it's a really fun event to be around. You know, it's pretty interesting to watch the same guys put themselves and girls put themselves through what we do for for a couple of weeks. But um, anybody that has done it, if you talk to anybody who's played or volunteered, uh, it's not easy, but it's certainly re very rewarding and very worth it. And you are going for a world record again, right? 252 hours or so? 250, yeah, approximately. Our friends, we've become uh, close with the, the folks in Edmonton, Alberta, who own the current record. Um, they are amazing people. They do their event in February outside in Alberta. Um, this year it was grueling. They were, they were minus 40 Ooh. Fahrenheit. And so, I mean, this is really amazing what they did and we've become close with them. Um, so we have a friendly, we have a friendly 
challenge each time we do this to break the record, but only by a few minutes as a, <laughs> yeah. because we want to continue doing this. We you know both of us raise a lot of money for, you know, cancer related um, beneficiaries. So we don't want to, uh, we want to be respectful. We want to, we want to do it because Guinness is a, it's a pretty amazing feat, but at the same time, we only want to do it by a couple minutes out of respect. Right. Um, the Buffalo 11 day power play like Edmonton, you've moved essentially outside this year, right? With a new venue, uh, Buffalo yes. river works. Tell me about that. Yeah. So Harbor center has been our, our host ever since the beginning. They've been wonderful and we'll continue to go back there eventually, but um, river works is an outdoor venue. And the reason to switch, we weren't sure if we were going to do a community shift or the world record, but we started planning this during, you know, the pandemic was still going on pretty strongly. So we decided to go to an outdoor venue just because it was a little less restrictive and with 40 players and not thousands of players. Um, but we, we've gone to Riverworks. They are really great hosts. Uh, we look, they hosted our outdoor street hockey event last year uh, because of the pandemic. And it, they're, they're, they're a great host. The, the venue is amazing. Um, I don't think we mentioned that the, the event is from November 13th right. to the 24th um, and it ends the day before Thanksgiving. So we're not, uh, we don't have the schedule down quite yet, but it could be a really fun party the night before Thanksgiving to end it on a, on a note on a, you know, on a day that's typically a pretty celebratory day as it is. Yeah. And you've got time too to keep raising money, right? Because the event is November. Why the move to uh, November? You were, well, when you started, you were around the 4th of July, right? Yeah. Well, there's no ice at Riverworks in the summer, okay, so we had to go, go either the fall or the you know the fall or the spring, and we decided to do it in the fall. Um, you know the weather, I, you know we're a little bit nervous about the weather outside. It's probably not going to be all that cold, but you know you never know what you get. Sure. We can get a little bit of everything in November. It could be rain, wind, right. it could be seventy, and could be thirty <laughs> all in one week. You never know. <laughs> but uh, that was the reason the outdoor rink and uh, having to do it in the in the cold you know the cold months. And Mike, it's important to note as with all the money you've raised and you will raise, it stays local, right? This is local yeah. fundraising that goes yeah. on here, right? Yeah, all of our players are local and all the money stays right here in Western New York. All of our beneficiaries um, are in Buffalo, Buffalo. And Camp Good Days is just outside Buffalo and Rochester, but they have they have programs both in Buffalo and Buffalo as well. So everything stays local. And our I mean, Buffalo, the whole community has been so, so supportive of us. Uh, it's hockey, it's Buffalo. Um, unfortunately we're not, uh, our professional teams in a little bit of a slump right now. So hopefully we can rally around hockey in a, in a good way. And, uh, we've, we've certainly got tremendous support from the community and we hope to continue to do so. And people have already started rallying around this cause you've, you know, the event is in November. You've already raised about a third of your goal of a million dollars, right? Yeah. We, we, we started our fundraising campaign on January the 1st and our players are super driven and right out of the shoot. We, we raised over a hundred grand a month. Uh, starting in January. So we'll, we'll continue that. We'll have lots of fun fundraisers during the, during the summer months. And um, uh, you know, there's, there's no way we don't make our million dollar goal. I just, the, with the crew that we have, they're so driven, they're so motivated. Um, and we're, uh, you know, we're, we're, we're determined to, uh, to raise more than a million dollars, which we've done every year for five years. Mike, if people want to participate, whether they want to volunteer or donate or help out in some way, where should they go? What should they do? 11daypowerplay.com, 11daypowerplay.com. Uh, there's a donate button front and center. Uh, you can go there, you can do a general donation. You can donate to a player. Um, and follow us on follow us on social media, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, where you can find us very easily. Uh, we're out there. Um, but, yeah, if, and if you have a particular player that or a friend or family that is playing, please donate. Mike, thanks very much. Great work. Congratulations already. Thank you. Thank you so much, Mark. Great to talk to you. 
Well, that's going to do it for this edition of Sullivan's Pro Football Kickoff Podcast. Thanks for joining us. Our next podcast, just about one month away. The NFL Draft is coming up in April, round one, Thursday, April 29th. We'll probably have a pre-draft podcast the week leading up to that Thursday. So we'll talk about the Bills' needs and the prospects available. We'll get a good beer guest as well. If you have ideas for guests, topics on the podcast, shoot us an email. Our address is Sullivan's Pro Football Kickoff at gmail.com. It's one word, Sullivan's Pro Football Kickoff at gmail.com. You can send us critiques, reviews, questions, ideas. We'll take them all. The really good ones we'll read right here on the podcast. I want to thank our guests in this one, Mike Lesikowski of the 11 Day Power Play. It's coming this November, November 13th through the 24th at Buffalo Riverworks. They're raising money right now in an effort to raise $1 million to fight cancer. The theme, Buffalo Fights Cancer, One Shift at a Time. Details you can find at 11daypowerplay.com, how to help, how to volunteer, how to uh, help raise money. I want to thank our football guest also, Bill Sideline Reporter, reporter for WGR 550, my friend Sal Capaccio. You hear him on the radio, you can follow him on Twitter at Sal Sports. He's all over the current free agent signings by the Bills and other Bills news. He actually was the first to report the re-signing of Matt Milano, a surprise move to many, but Sal was on it. My thanks to Sal Capaccio for joining us on this podcast today. We're brought to you by Sullivan's Brewing Company of Kilkenny, Ireland. This is a big week for Sullivan, St. Patrick's Day. The Sullivan's crew all geared up to move some beer. Our new brand ambassador in Atlanta, Georgia, Janet Fisher. You'll soon find soon find it, uh, Sullivan's all over Atlanta. It's already available in Buffalo and Western New York, Central New York, Saratoga, Albany, New York City, New Jersey, North and South, Pittsburgh, Big Splash in Columbus, Ohio, and in Cleveland. Sullivan's Brewing Company, the makers of Sullivan's Maltings, Irish Red Ale, Irish Gold Ale, and Sullivan's Black Marble Stout. I want to thank our producer, Pat Feldball. Happy St. Patrick's Day, everybody. See you in a couple of weeks for our next installment of Sullivan's Pro Football Kickoff. You've been listening to John Murphy and Sullivan's Pro Football Kickoff. It's all about the Bills and the beers.